morning. Am I on now? Yeah. Okay. Now I'll say good morning. Everybody can hear me now. Please open your uh, Bibles, if you would, if you would, to the first chapter of Ephesians. As we continue on in Ephesians this morning, I have uh, I've been taking a couple of seminary classes. Uh, one class on the doctrine of salvation. And the other class is on um, expository preaching or preaching and teaching. And um, just one thing, I and during this Ephesians study, um, I've been reading Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Has, has anybody heard of who Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is? I figured Dan would. <laughs> so... Um, so Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has this uh, exposition on Ephesians. That's incredible. And I just want to just say one thing about Martin Lloyd-Jones. In the one book that I have, he has 37 sermons alone on chapter 1 of Ephesians. 37 on chapter 1. Massive. And everything is so rich and so good. Brian Borgman, some might know who he is. He's uh, the professor of the preaching class that I'm going through. Uh, In his class, he mentioned when he preached through Ephesians, he had 120 sermons in the six chapters of Ephesians. So we are just merely, I am just merely scratching the surface of the absolute depth of this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to us. So I'm hitting the highlights because there is no way that I am going to do 37 37 of them in one chapter and 120 overall. So, but I just wanted to just share that with you that, that how deep and how rich God's word is. And when you preach 37 sermons in one chapter and 120 sermons in one letter, there is nothing boring about the Word of God. Nothing boring at all. So with that, let's pray and then we'll dig in with what we have today. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your Word. Lord, may we be excited and may we find joy as we open your word that we would know that your word is active and it's living and it's sharper than any two-edged sword it divides the very soul it divides the bone and the marrow father may we see the richness of your word today may we see the goodness of you may we see the glory of christ and may we walk away today worshiping to the praise of your glory. We do ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Inheritance. It's something as young men, or even myself, we can look forward to. Because an inheritance is something that we get that our parents give to us. Because they have maybe managed their money way better than I have. And so we have this inheritance. Maybe we in 
inherit property, we inherit a house, or we inherit uh, material things, jewelry. But inheritance is a word that we use in our times. Inheritance in the Old Testament was essentially used to pass on property. And this inheritance was usually given to the, the men, the firstborn received the inheritance. Now, if you didn't have a male in the family, there are laws that God instituted in Numbers that you could give it to your daughter also. Our view of inheritance is it goes to our children, right? Our view is is that it goes to our children. Well, God in this next section, he has given us an inheritance, has given us a share. And not only are we God's inheritance, but Christ is our inheritance. And we see in this passage that our inheritance has a source, it has a pledge, and it has a guarantee. Look at Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the point number one I want to look at is the source, the source of this inheritance. Paul says, in him. Christ is the source of our inheritance. And it's a for sure thing. Our inheritance is a for sure thing. I remember when my grandfather and my grandmother were were alive, that in my grandfather's will, he had $500 going to every grandkid. And then once my grandmother died, he took that out. So it wasn't a for sure thing. But our inheritance that God has given us is a for sure thing. And when we look at the Greek context, I'm going to use three words that I usually don't use, but it's, it's interesting. But the Greek context is an aorist, passive, indicative, which essentially means it's a for sure thing. And that's how some of the writers, how the writers wrote. Paul is writing in such a way as he uses those Greek verbs in that way as to say, this is a for sure thing. This is not going to disappoint because of the source of the inheritance is Christ himself. He is the source. So, 1 Corinthians three twenty-two and 23 says it this way. Paul or Apostle, Paul or Apollos, or Cephas or the world or life or death or present to the future, all are yours. This is what he's saying. This inheritance we have in Christ, all are yours. Why? And you are Christ and Christ is God because we are in him. We have this inheritance because of the union we have with Christ. This joining we have with Christ because we are in him. Part of this inheritance is our salvation. Is our salvation in Christ. Acts 4.12 says this. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way we can be saved. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say I am a, another way or there is a different way. No, Jesus says I am the way. Part of our salvation is having Christ and in that is our salvation. And in this salvation, we see this union in, is made possible because we have died and risen with Christ. Romans 6 puts it this way. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united, there's our word, united in him, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Somehow, some way, if you are a believer and God has called you to himself, we've been to Calvary. Because we are united with Christ in his death. And we are united with Christ in his resurrection. This is the source of our inheritance because we are in him. And because we are in him, one day, brothers and sisters, we will be like him. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we know one day that we will be like Christ because of this union with Christ. Because we are in him, we are co-heirs with him. This is why we obtain this inheritance. Romans eight seventeen, And if children, then heirs, right? When we receive an inheritance, it's because we're the heir of what is to come through. We're the heirs. And this is what the apostle says to the Romans. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are children of God. We are heirs with Christ. We are heirs of the promise. Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The promise. Titus 3.7. So that being justified as grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's different than how we use the word hope. So we might use the word hope in the context of, I hope I get a raise. Or I hope I get a better job. Or I hope customers come in. Or I hope I beat COVID or whatever it may be. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's a for sure thing. Same thing. You can bet on it. It's a hope. It's the hope, is what he says, of eternal life. The first shame, the for sure thing of eternal life. As we are heirs, we're heirs of righteousness. 
were heirs of righteousness by faith. Hebrews 1.17, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Because of our union with Christ, we are heirs of righteousness by faith. We are heirs of the kingdom. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? We are heirs of the kingdom. This is not the kingdom. This world is not the kingdom. This is not where we are heirs to. We are heirs to a heavenly kingdom where righteousness reigns where mercy reigns, where grace overflows, that kingdom. In Luke, Jesus says, don't fear, little sheep. The Father has gladly given you the kingdom. This is what God has done for us because we are his heirs, because this is part of the inheritance. Believers inherit every promise God has made. Did you hear that? Believers inherit every promise promise God has made. Second Peter 1 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Second Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. And we are in him. We are united with him. So all those promises are to us, are yes. There used to be a movement called Promise Keepers. How many of you guys heard of Promise Keepers? So I went to it a couple of times, and they should change the name to Promise Breakers because I haven't kept a single promise, you know, that was there. But the promises of God are a for sure thing because they are in Him, the source of our inheritance. What are some of these promises? It's eternal love. It's infinite grace. It's infinite peace. Full mercy. Wisdom, joy, strength, forgiveness. Eternal riches in eternal life. These are just a glimpse of some of the promises that we have. Some of the promises that we have. Now within him, I want us to look at a, a certain thing here. Within this Ephesians 1.11, that we have two perspectives on this inheritance. We have God's perspective and we have a human perspective, right? So let's look at God's perspective first on this inheritance that's in him. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of who works all things according to the counsel of his word. Now we see that word predestined again. Now I'm not going to go into that because I dealt with it earlier, but we know from earlier sermons that this word predestined means to mark out beforehand, right? To mark out beforehand, to choose. And so this is our inheritance. Our inheritance was marked out beforehand. But we look at this. It, 
It's according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to this. God works all things according to this. This word work means to affect, put into action, to put into operation. This is where we get our word energy. That's the Greek word. It's where we get our word energy from. So, for example, when God created the heavens and the earth, he did not, he did not create it and then just say, okay, let's see what happens. No, God created it and then he energized it. He energized it. Creation functioned automatically because of the energy that God put into it, because of the work that God puts into it. So our inheritance is fully given when God calls us home. That's when we fully give it. But in the present time, God gives each believer the energy that is needed to get, this, to get us to completion. But we have to understand one thing. This energy he gives us is him, and it's him working in us to bring us to that completion. That's what Philippians 1, 6 tells us. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's our salvation, the beginning of our salvation, he began the good work in you, he will bring it to completion. We don't bring it to completion. God brings it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God brings everything to completion. But this is what he says in in Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 12 tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So as there is this work, there is this responsibility on our part in our salvation to work this out. But we have to understand one thing. The only reason we work it out is because God has given the believer the energy to work it out because it's him who's doing the work in us. Don't worry if you get confused. I do too sometimes. But that's the reality of the word of God. That's the reality. So we see where God's power is in our inheritance. We see where God's excellence is proclaimed in our inheritance. Ephesians 1.12 So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. All through this section that we've talked about, everything that God does most likely ends with to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. We should never get tired of hearing that, to the praise of his glory. Because that's why God does things, it's to the praise of his glory. His excellence proclaimed in our inheritance. Our election is to the praise of his glory. Our redemption is to the praise of his glory. All happens to the praise of his glory. This is God's perspective on our inheritance. Now there's a human perspective on our inheritance. Look at Ephesians 1.12 again. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The first to hope. Now Paul here is not talking about us here at Faith Bible. We were not the first people to hope in Jesus Christ. Right? He's talking about the apostles. The first to hope in Christ. It's simple. But they had their hope in Christ. Now, when we look at that verse so that we were the first to hope in Christ, like I said, I'm giving you a little grammar this time because it's, it's important. That word in, it's a definite article. It's a definite article and it could be changed to the word the. It could be changed to the word the. So in the Greek, we could read it this way. So that we who were first to hope in the 
Christ. Not any other Christ. The Christ. Brothers and sisters, our hope is not in a Messiah in the White House. Our hope is not in a Messiah in our congressional leaders or our governor or our mayors. Our hope, brothers and sisters, is in the Christ. Not any other Christ. The Christ. That's where our hope is. That's where our inheritance is. Hope is to have confidence in a person or a thing beforehand. Biblical hope never disappoints. The believer's hope is Christ. Romans fifteen twelve. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, that is Jesus, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That is us. The Gentiles are us. In him, in Christ, we will hope in him. He is our hope. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians had this hope in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Paul starts off the letter to, to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus is the hope. Nothing else measures up. Brothers and sisters, he is the hope. There's nothing else. He's the hope. Put your hope there. The believer's hope is an eternal life. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Our eternal life, Titus 1.2 In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. It's a living hope, according to Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercies. He has caused us to be born again, this is our salvation, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is not a dead hope. Muhammad, dead. Buddha, dead. Confucius, dead. Some Catholics worship Mary, dead. Not our hope, brothers and sisters. What does, that, what does the apostle say? What does Peter say? He says we've been born again to a living hope. Our Savior lives. He rose from the grave. He sits at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. He is a man who walks in the heavens, alive and representing you and I. He is our living hope and he is our inheritance. We must grab that. Nothing on earth will satisfy but Jesus. Our inheritance is wrapped up in the gospel. Our inheritance is wrapped up in the gospel. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also, this is Jesus, in him again, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the hearing of the word of truth. The gospel must be proclaimed for others to hear. It's the preaching of the good news. Jesus came and died for sin. The incarnation tells us that Jesus is the God-man who came and died for sin. He was the infinite sacrifice. And it's the proclamation of this that God uses to bring us to salvation. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's the Bible preached. It's the word preached. It's the gospel preached. We have to hear the word. We have to believe the truth. We have to believe the truth. Galatians 1, 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. These Galatians were turning away from the belief in the gospel. They were going to another one. Brothers and sisters, this is believing in the gospel, believing in the truth. 1-7, not that there is another one, because there's not, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let them be accursed, anathema. Let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Our inheritance is wrapped up in the response to the word of truth. The response to the word of truth. This is where things can get kind of, be a little tension in the Bible. The Bible does have tension. I want you guys to understand that. It does have tension. We see the sovereignty of God, God's absolute control of everything, but we do see human responsibility, do we not? That's what we see. We have a responsibility to respond to the word of truth. This is what the apostle says, right? He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. He's saying you believed in him. This is responsibility. There's a response to the word of truth. There's a response to when the gospel is proclaimed. Romans 10.10 For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. John 1.12 But to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. This is why we respond right here. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Did you guys catch that? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It wasn't by our own will but of God. How all this works? Scotty and I have these conversations that work all the time, do we not? (laughs) How all this works can be very confusing in our minds. But take comfort, brothers and sisters, because it works perfectly in the mind of God. It doesn't take him by surprise. It works perfectly in his mind.
We were chosen, yes. Before the foundations of the world, yes. But do we have a responsibility to believe and repent of our sin? Yes. The reason we believe and we repent of our sin is because he has regenerated us with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So now we see the guarantee of this inheritance. The guarantee of this inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Just go to 14. Oh, no, we've got to read 13 too. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have God's seal on us. Again, we have to look back into kind of the Old Testament times, right? When they would send a document, when a king would send a document, he had a thing called a signet ring, right? He had a signet ring, and they would write this document down on a scroll. Then they would roll it up, and then the, 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 the king would take his ring, and he would seal it with his mark. And then when the recipient got that letter, he knew that it was an official document from the king because it was sealed. We see this as an example in Daniel 6, verse 17, when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. It says, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Daniel had to survive the night. We all know the end of that story. But it was a signet ring. And this is what God does. He does the same thing with us. He stamps us with his signet ring, which is the Holy Spirit, marking you and I out as his own possession, his ownership. When Jesus saved you and God gave you the Holy Spirit, he sealed you with that spirit and he said that you are now mine. Angela, you are his because he has sealed you with his spirit. And guess what? Nobody can take you away from him because we are sealed with that Holy Spirit. We have God's seal. We are given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know? He's appealing to our minds. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. God owns us. What a blessing. The king of all eternity plants his seal on you and says, you are mine. You want to know why God loves you? Because he does. It wasn't anything that you did. It wasn't anything that you merited. He loves you because of you. The Holy Spirit lives in us as the one who empowers us, who equips us for the ministry's work, our helper, our advocate, our comforter, 
our guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth that we are God's children, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit and God gives us the guarantee or the pledge of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the end of verse 13. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee or the pledge of our, inhel- of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. This pledge, it's, it's referring to like a down payment. The Holy Spirit is a down payment to our inheritance. Um, I like the example of an engagement ring. That's what I like, the engagement ring, right? We are betrothed to Christ. We are Christ's bride. And the Holy Spirit, he's the pledge of the ring, of the promise of marriage. That's what he is. He's that pledge. He's that ring. And it doesn't disappoint. Listen to 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, And who has also put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God and has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as a promise. This is how God does things. He gives us the Holy Spirit as this guarantee of this absolutely beautiful, incredible inheritance that we will have that will trump anything that any parent can give you here. Just imagine, Christ, he gets it all, doesn't he? And we are in him. Brothers and sisters, we get it all. You don't need it now. You get it then. We get it all. So finally, I want us to look at these three great doctrines, election, redemption, inheritance. If Christ does not come, we want to bring this back. We want to look at the communion now. We want to look at the table. We want to look at the the body broken and the blood spilt. If Christ does not come and take care of our sin problem, there is no election. We remain dead in our trespasses and sins. If Christ does not come and appease the wrath of God, satisfy the wrath of God, there is no redemption. Because we neither would ever choose God in our dead state and we would never go after redemption because we never think we did anything wrong in our dead state. If Christ does not come and die the death we deserved, brothers and sisters, there's no inheritance and there is no hope of glory. So, if you sit here today and you are not a believer, This inheritance is not yours. It is not for you. But it can be for you because of what Christ has done. Because of this memorial that we look at. Brothers and sisters, those who are here that might not be saved, our biggest problem was sin. And Jesus came and took care of that problem on the cross. He died your death that you so deserved. He bore your hell that you should be in. 
He satisfied God's wrath for us. This is the one we trust. Trust in Jesus today. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin and turn to God and see the resurrected Christ in all of his glory. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not boring. He is not a cosmic killjoy. He is our joy. And he is our living hope. So as we come to the communion table, if you're not a believer, don't take this. Let it go by. But if you are a believer, oh, to the praise of his glory, right? To the praise of his excellence. To the praise of his glorious name. Because we celebrate the body broken and the blood spilt and the new covenant that we are in. So as the men come forward to pass out the elements, let us take some time to repent of sin that you may have. Maybe you have some unconfessed sin in your life. Repent of that sin. Come to the table. Come to the table that Jesus provides with a pure and a clean heart, with excitement and joy, and and see the grace that is in this new covenant that he has given for us. So take some time. Pray as the men pass out these elements.